Faith to Faith Bible College. Thank you so much for coming in here. Let's go ahead and open up the session with a moment of silence followed by the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. October the 2nd, run to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. It's wonderful to know you've been set free from the law of sin and death. It's glorious to know you never again have to submit to the slavery of sin. But what do you do when, in spite of those wonderful, glorious truths, you still miss the mark? What do you do when you stumble and fall into sin? Run to your father and repent. That sounds simple, but oddly enough, we often do just the opposite. Instead of running to God, we let fear and guilt drive us further and further from him. We start thinking like, well, I missed it now. I might as well forget the rest of it and live like the devil. Don't make that mistake. Don't let Satan talk you into sinning in one area of your life just because you missed it in another. When you get off track with God, just confess it and get right back on. But Brother Copeland, I feel so guilty when I tell God what I've done that it's hard for me to make myself do it. I know, I used to feel the same way too. Then one day God said to me, Kenneth, when you confessed the sin, wasn't when I found out about it. I knew about it all the time. I knew about it all the time. When you confess it is when you got rid of it. When you were cleansed of its effects in your life. When you make a mistake, when you miss the mark, remember you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1. Run to him. He knows what you are going through. You don't need to be afraid. He didn't tear you apart for the sins you committed before you made him Lord of your life, did he? Then how much more merciful and loving do you think you'll be now that you're his own? Now that you're reaching out for him and have a heart for him. Don't run from God. Run to him. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his cleansing. No matter how badly you sin, he's eager to forgive and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Amen. Additional reading is Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5 and 12, 1 through 13. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonites' army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. 
As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman unusually beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message, saying, I'm pregnant. 12, 1 through 13. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David the story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wife and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wife to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with him in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Amen. The Lord forgives us, but we still have consequences. October the 3rd. Avoid big failures. Ephesians four seventeen and 19 says... This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feelings, had given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Ephesians four seventeen and 19. There's a subtle strategy Satan uses to take control of our lives. The Bible calls it lasciviousness. 
and it means to have no restraint. Lasciviousness has been preached as being extremely immorality, but it doesn't start out that way. It begins with just a few seemingly innocent thoughts. Then those thoughts grow and grow until they begin to produce serious sin. One afternoon, as a nine-year-old boy, for example, I just yield to the desire to curse. I knew better, but I did it anyway. I had a relative who was so good at West Texas cussing that I thought he invented it. I was impressed and wanted to try it. When I let go of all restraint and began to say those curse words, something evil moved in on my thinking that seriously affected me for some 20 years. A law was set in motion. As a result, my flesh gradually became boss over my entire being. Don't let Satan use the strategy of lasciviousness on you. Make up your mind and heart today to obey God in the little things. Avoid big failures by walking in his spirit one small step at a time. Major victories will eventually be yours. Additional reading is Ephesians chapter 4 to 31. Throw off your former life, your way of living, the sinful nature which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use fall or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Amen. October the 4th, The Deciding Witness, Kenny Copeland. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Matthew eighteen sixteen. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You've been there many times, standing in the valley of decision, perched precariously between victory and defeat. On one side of you is the word of the world authored by Satan that says, for example, you're not going to get healed. On the other side of you, the word of God is saying, my word is yes and amen, and by whose stripes you were healed, First Peter 2.24. Who will determine how it all turns out? You will. You are the establishing witness. I remember a fellow once who wanted me to pray for him. I said, now the word says you're healed. 
He interrupted me and said, yeah, I know it says that, but I got this terrible pain here. I looked him in the eye and said again, the word says by his stripes you were healed. I know, he answered, but I got this terrible. I shook my head. Listen, the word says you, you're healed. He turned beet red. I know it says that, but I got this. Finally, he stopped and stared at me. He didn't realize it, but he'd allow his physical symptoms to become his evidence. It was what he believed. No matter what the word says, he believed the thing he could see and feel. But when he, when he got quiet, I said to him, Look, you're wanting me to agree with you, and you're mad because I won't. But if I agree with you, you're going to die. Now, if you agree with me and the Bible, we can get you healed. Suddenly, he saw it. His eyes lifted up. Oh, praise God, I see what you mean. I agree with the word of God. I put my hands on his head, and God healed him instantly. You see, when he finally decided to get in agreement with God, he could have received his bedroom or driving down the road or anywhere else. He could have received any time he decided to become the establishing witness. You pray and establish your witness. That's your part. If you do, God will back you up. And when he backs you up, everything else either has to get in line or get out of the way. You're the deciding witness. What do you say? Additional reading is Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church decision, treat the person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For the where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Amen and amen. Fate to Fate. Today, October the 5th, let us read Subject to Change from 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not are eternal, Second Corinthians 4.18. Amen. Let's go ahead and say a little quick prayer. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to hear and, excuse me, ears to hear and eyes to see and give us that spiritual knowledge, Lord God, that we can be blessed today, Lord. We expect a miracle. We expect the word to take place and make a change in our lives, Lord. We expect it in Jesus' mighty name, and we give you all the glory and honor. Amen and amen. 
Don't center your attention on what you can see in this natural, physical sense realm. Everything you see is temporal and subject to change. So put your faith in the unseen eternal realm. The things which are eternal are not subject to change. God's word is eternal and it contains 7,000 promises to cover any circumstances you'll ever face. And no matter what happens in this shifting, changing world you live in, those promises will forever be the same. No matter how bad your body feels, the word will always say, By his stripes you are healed, 1 Peter 2.24. No matter how bad your bank book looks, the word will always say, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Don't settle for the meager existence the world says you can have. Lay hold of what the Word says you can have. Center your attention on the eternal truth of God and look not to the things which are seen. After all, they're subject to change. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. We consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. So then death is at work in us, but it releases life in you. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, First I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe, then speak in faith. We do this because we are convinced that he who raised Jesus will raise us up with him, and together we will all be brought into his presence. Yes, all things work for your enrichment so that more of God's marvelous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an ever greater increase of praise to God, bringing him even more glory. So no wonder we don't give up, for even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. We view our slight short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal.